0: Listener-supported,
1: WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my daily politics podcast. It's Friday, October 20th. We'll focus first today on the hostages being held by Hamas. Tomorrow will be two weeks since the October 7th assault in which they were taken. Probably doesn't even need to be stated, but Human Rights Watch lists hostage taking as a war crime. The numbers are imprecise, but Israeli and Hamas estimates are similar. As Reuters reports it, Israel says 203. Hamas says it has 200 hostages itself and that 50 more are held by other armed groups in Gaza. Hamas claims more than 20 hostages have been killed by Israeli airstrikes, but hasn't provided any evidence of that. And who are the hostages? Well, Reuters quotes Israel saying they include 30 teenagers and young children and 20 people over the age of 60. Reuters reports the hostages include people from dozens of countries, many of them with dual Israeli citizenship. Twenty or more Americans are missing, said U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan on Tuesday, according to Reuters, but he couldn't say how many of those were being held hostage. Republican Senator Jim Risch told reporters on Tuesday that 10 of the hostages were Americans. Thailand revised to 17 the number of its citizens being held, Eight Germans are among the hostages, about half of whom were seized at a kibbutz, according to local media. Argentine President Alberto Fernandez said in a video call with families that 16 of his countrymen were being held. France has not said exactly how many of its citizens are held in Gaza, although there are seven unaccounted for after the attacks, of which some, they say, are being held hostage. Again, all this according to Reuters. Ophir Engel, an 18 year old Dutch national, was kidnapped from Kibbutz Be'eri and taken to Gaza, according to the Dutch government. So, again, some of the statements collated by Reuters News Service regarding hostages from different countries. President Biden, in his speech last night, made hostages topic number one in the first minute of his 15 minute speech. Scores of innocents, from infants to the elderly grandparents, israelis americans taken hostage as i told the families of americans being held captive by hamas we're pursuing every avenue to bring their loved ones home as president there is no higher priority for me than the safety of americans held hostage president biden last night but now what what's the best way to win their freedom prisoner swaps military raids something else And what does Hamas want? Why did they take hostages as part of the October 7th operation? Atlantic Magazine staff writer Graham Wood joins us now from Jerusalem. He published an article yesterday based on what he calls a Hamas hostage-taking manual that he says he obtained. Spoiler alert, Graham thinks taking hostages back to Gaza was not part of the original plan. Besides being an Atlantic staff writer since 2006, Graham Wood is author of the book, The Way of the Strangers, Encounters with the Islamic State. He has reported for the Atlantic from every continent except Antarctica, he says. He is a member of the Council on Foreign Relations and teaches at Yale. Graham, thank you for joining us from Jerusalem today. Welcome to WNYC. Thank you, Brian. So what's this hostage-taking handbook, and how did you get it?
0: So the, this handbook has been circulating around online and in some sources. Uh, and the IDF confirmed to me that they uh, that they found it in the possession of uh, some of the Hamas fighters who uh, who penetrated the Israeli border on October seventh. Um, they gave me most of the handbook. Uh, I was able to find through other sources the rest of it. And um, Read it through. I mean, it, it is exactly what what it, what it sounds like. It, it's a manual for what you do once you've got a bunch of hostages in in your possession. What the concrete steps are that you take, and it also gives a a, a bit of a sneak preview or, or of what the um, what the what Hamas intended to do once it had these people, which turns out to be slightly different from what actually seems to have happened.
1: And I just have to ask before we really get into the details of it. How much should we trust that this handbook is real or really used by Hamas? I'm sure as a journalist, you don't automatically trust anything necessarily that you get from any party in an act of war. And you say this came largely from an official of the Israeli Defense Forces. So how do we, how do you know it's real?
0: Yeah, so I I went through it. I went through the the, um, original Arabic, tried to find anything, including... um, including uh, marginalia that was written on it. Uh, anything that would suggest uh, authenticity or, or possibility of a forgery was certainly on my mind as well. Um, the fact that it was available through multiple sources, uh, the fact that it was authenticated by the IDF, uh, and that it was consistent with other documents that, that are out there that are associated with Hamas, makes me think it's probably real. Um, there's also the fact that the IDF asked me not to publish certain aspects of it. Um, So if it was a forgery by by Israel, then um, they were rather sneaky in suggesting that some of their forgery was was, uh, better off uh, unmentioned.
1: All right. Thank you for that. So let's go through some details. You quote the handbook saying hostages should be taken, quote, in the field, unquote, in areas that have been, quote, cleansed, unquote, and brought under control. What does that mean?
0: Yeah, so what it's suggesting is that the hostages should be taken where they are found. Um, So when Hamas went into Israel, they went into military outposts, they went into civilian areas, and what they actually did was take hostages and then bring them back to Gaza. That is not even mentioned or contemplated in this manual. What it says is, You control areas, you cleanse them, which means basically dominating them through force, uh, killing the people who were there, who were providing resistance. And then in those places, you gather everybody together, figure out who's going to cause trouble, kill them, torture them, force them into compliance. And then this is the really amazing thing. They were clearly contemplating the possibility of a siege like a long-standing, prolonged, protracted standoff with the Israelis. And that's what the bulk of the manual is, is, um, is planning for, is, is the mechanics of that standoff.
1: But the difference between what we have, which is a siege and a standoff inside Gaza, you're saying what they were planning for was a siege and a standoff inside Israel. Am I hearing that right? Yeah, and it could be
0: more than one of these. I mean, this was found in one particular place, and they may have had different overall plans, different plans for different places, but this suggested they expected to go in and counter resistance, um, defeat that resistance, and then very quickly have to take those hostages and put them in a place where they could be most effectively uh, controlled and then used for bargaining. And that could have been in you know 10 different sites around the the Gaza border within Israel. And in fact, what they seem to have done is actually just killed a lot of people on site, but then had the the, uh, the free time, the leisure to take those hostages and bring them all into Gaza, all 200 plus of them.
1: On what you just described as the free time, the leisure, it's a separate issue, but that scenario would indicate a failure of the Israeli military to really engage as I guess Hamas uh, Hamas expected they would based on that scenario. Is that an issue among Israelis now in the aftermath?
0: Uh, it, it's I think impossible to express how infuriated Israelis are with the with their government, uh, with the Israeli state. I mean, Israelis thought that if nothing else, then their government was focused on not allowing pogroms, as one might have found with Cossacks a hundred plus years ago. To take place and this is exactly what happened so hamas i think was surprised at how little military resistance they encountered the fact that it it took 12 to 24 hours for the idf to show up and the israelis were i mean not of course the israelis who were actually kidnapped and killed were probably pretty surprised but everybody else was just horrified by this and when israelis are able to take a breath from the immediate trauma of the situation there's going to be a political reckoning Like we've never experienced in this country.
1: So, since Hamas had this leisure, this luxury, they preferred to take the two hundred plus, by all accounts, that's the number, into Gaza.
0: So it appears. You know, when uh, when looking at the manual, there's a section at the end that uh, it it talks about the negotiation that to take should take place. Uh, It says. We're probably going to have some losses here. We, Hamas, and the bodies should be marked. The the graves should be marked because we're going to have to eventually leave these places after the the standoff and then maybe come back once Israel is no more to take the bodies and put them where they want to be. But that suggests that, yeah, they were expecting a kind of um, like old 1970s style, you know, dog day afternoon or OPEC Mm. minister in Vienna kind of uh, situation where the outcome the final outcome was was very much open to doubt uh, it could be the deaths of everybody it could be a negotiated uh, and some kind of negotiated settlement by actually bringing everybody back to to Gaza hundreds of people uh, they are able to uh, negotiate from a very different position where uh, Israel's probably unsure where the the hostages are and uh, there can be some consolidated bargaining for for um, Palestinian prisoners, or who knows what other uh, concessions will be requested.
1: The Hamas hostage handbook you obtained says, kill those hostages expected to resist or who pose a threat. That's pretty directed, cold-blooded right there. It then says the other should be blindfolded and, quote, reassured to keep them docile. But then it says, quote, use them as human shields and use electric shocks to force compliance. How extra cool, do you know of Hamas actually shocking hostages in the past?
0: Um, I cannot tell you that Hamas has actually shocked hostages in the past the The brutality with which they treated Israeli civilians on October seventh suggests that there's not that electric shocks is not even close to near their limits. so um the fact that they were were expecting to do that is is not a surprise. It's still pretty shocking to see that in print. You know, there, there's always a possibility that in a battlefield situation, people go a little crazy. They do things they didn't expect to do. They're in the heat of the moment. But, you know, this is something that's written down in print. And it's, by the way, the, the date on it is two years ago, two or three years ago, mm. which uh, it, it's it's pretty, uh, it's just chilling to see that, that that kind of brutality was contemplated, expected, uh, even hoped for.
1: And the human shields issue referred to in that passage is obviously a big one. It's one of the central claims about Hamas by Israel, about Gaza's own civilian population, that Hamas embeds their military and terror operations among civilians to use them as human shields, and that's among people they supposedly care about, Gaza Palestinians. So here's evidence of Hamas using human shields, in this case hostages, based on the manual. Any clues as to where any of these particular hostages are being housed? To use them that way? Uh,
0: You you know, I I don't have any more knowledge than anyone else, but Hamas itself says that they have 500 kilometers worth of tunnels underneath the Gaza Strip. Um, In the the manual, it says, you know, find a, a basement, find a place where they can't be seen, don't give information about where they are, how many there are, or what their condition is. So, uh, it would be totally unsurprising if Hamas is using whatever kind of subterfuge that it it has at its disposal to keep the hostages and to make sure that yeah that these these very valuable flesh commodities that they have uh, are invisible to to the Israelis and difficult to to get back.
1: NPR's Morning Edition had a report on a station today that many Israelis are upset that their government. Isn't taking the hostage situation as seriously as it should, and perhaps not as seriously as the U.S. is taking its hostage situation, meaning regarding U.S. nationals being held in this group. Are you aware of that being an issue there? Reporting from Jerusalem.
0: Yes, absolutely. One of the things that's that's frequently mentioned is the failure of the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to meet with the families. Um, you know, the, the, there's 203 people, uh, which means. A large number of families, and you know, it, it, Israelis will will often say, nobody doesn't know someone who's affected by this in this country. There's only 10 million people here, so 203 people from distributed among those 10 million. It's 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 a it's a personal thing for for everyone. Um, and they, I think, there's many Israelis who just n- noticed that the government was caught flat-footed on the in the day of the attack. And continues to be um, ineffective in its response. Not only have they not actually gotten the hostages back or uh, invaded Gaza, but the, there's no real known plan for what's going to happen. Certainly after the invasion, but like it, it's the, the government is as reeling it seems as as anyone else. I think um, it, it's important to see too, like. Many Israelis remember the, the period when Gilad Shalit was, was, was a hostage in Gaza, and that one guy, if you went to Jerusalem during that period, you'd see his face stenciled, you'd see on you know, murals and so forth. He was known to literally everyone, and, and there were many Israelis who could tell you exactly how many days he had been captive. That was one guy. I don't think the Israeli government has ever contemplated that there might be 203 of those people all at once. And so its response, is, is um, I think, is, is taken by many Israelis as, as really illustrating the incompetence of the government, the incompetence to, to expect that this would happen and, and to react in a, in a humane and, and
1: urgent way. Just as an aside for a minute, Graham, what do you think about that clip? and Biden's attempt last night to pair these wars in Americans' minds as he asks Congress for billions in aid for both wars today. Was he using the almost universal support for Israel and Congress as a wedge to get funding for Ukraine, which, as we know, leaves Republicans especially more divided?
0: Yeah, I, I, it's it's very interesting that he would connect these, these two causes in that way. Um, you know, the, the, the huge expense of supporting Ukraine— uh, and the expected huge, um, huge amount of support that the United States will have to give to, to Israel does start making a lot of people in policy circles start counting the ammunition, seeing what what's left for Taiwan, if, if that front opens. And it, it doesn't escape people's notice that, you know, who is on Russia's side in the Ukraine war? Uh, it's Iran. Um, and of course, uh, in the case of Hamas. Iran is the principal armorer for, for Hamas and gives most of its military budget. So it's, it's not as if there's no connection between these two causes, but I, I think the, the the president quite reasonably thinks that he needs to shore up political support and uh, try to get an understanding that, that it's possible to uh, have an absolute political imperative, geopolitical imperative to support both of these allies at the same time, which is going to be a big ask.
1: You you touch on the question in your Atlantic article, why did Hamas do this now, with one source just replying, because they're effing terrorists, and they spent all day figuring out how to kill Israelis and Americans. But others have said, because Saudi Arabia was about to recognize Israel with nothing real for the Palestinians in the bargain, or other more specifically strategic reasons. Uh, in fact, we have a question here from a listener via text message. The question is, can the guest comment on something I heard um, on the show on Wednesday? That was that several Arab governments had committed to billions in funding for Palestinians that would bypass Hamas. Would Hamas have acted now in order to avoid being stripped of political power due to this deal? So to that range of questions, why did Hamas do this now, as far as you can tell?
0: Yeah, so first of all, the the source that I that I quoted um I, I think that's a possibility that has to be kept in mind which is that there might not always be an interesting answer to why now it could be because well right now is when they were able to do it and they always want to do this so that, that's why um but the palestinians are not stupid they're not less strategic than any other people and so it's also worth considering the the geopolitics here what type of AOK they got green lights they got from other powers including iran which we don't know that that happened, but Iran is one of their supporters. So it would be worth figuring out how that might have interacted with their timing. Um, It's um, As regards Saudi Arabia, uh, the real talk of of, uh, diplomatic relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel, as opposed to just the sort of off-the-book strategic relationship that they've had, um, that's ramped up in just the last year or so. Uh, It's been talked about, but it's ramped up more recently than I think the the planning for this operation took place. So I don't don't think it's certainly not just because of that. But I do think Hamas realized that there were efforts and they were bearing some fruit to make sure that Israel was integrated into other Arab states uh, and that that would leave much less leeway for them to have their own eliminationist policy toward Israel and its inhabitants. I think what we're seeing now with other Arab states pledging aid for Gaza, trying to figure out ways that 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 um, that they can uh, lend a hand to, to the people of Gaza without being directly implicated in, in helping Hamas is um, uh, in many cases, it's, it, it is in addition, it might be sincere, but it's also self-serving uh, Arab states. The ones who are at peace with Israel have diplomatic relations, like Jordan, like Egypt, uh, like the UAE. They have to be concerned about the fact that their population is is um, loyal to to Gaza. Uh, they are sympathetic to other Arab populations. And if you're Egypt, you have to worry if you are uh, if you have a peaceful relationship with Israel, that your population will take that out on you. Remember, um, the that. Sadat was was assassinated over that over that relationship. So, I think that some of the Arab states that that are are um, looking for other possibilities, other ways that this could end, other than a, a very bloody and, and costly and human lives invasion. Um, they're of course thinking about themselves, thinking about their continued survival and the ability of their, their governments to survive the displeasure of their own people.
1: Graham Wood covering the situation in the Middle East for the Atlantic from Jerusalem. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Brian. Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.